Everyone has an idea, but is it right? Everyone seems to know what a Christian is, how the Christian life should look, and what kind of place the church should be. But are we even close? What if we could know? What if it looks different than we think? What if what God is building is more than a group of good people, but a community? Join us as we walk through the book of Philippians and see together a beautiful community. Hey, uh, kids ages three through pre-K can head down to Holy Cross Kids Worship if you'd like. Uh, it, for the rest of you, I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians, the last two verses. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The, the passage should be in your order of worship. should be in this little thing. If you don't own a Bible, there's a bunch on the back table in a little basket. That's our gift to you. Grab one of those on your way out. And, le- and when I say own a Bible, what I mean is not just like you have like grandpappy's old one in the back of your house, but like you have one that you can actually read and it makes sense. Uh, so we have some that actually do make sense. Uh, at least the translations make sense in the back of the, in the back of the church. You can grab one of those on your way out if you want or right now. Any way you can have the Bible in front of you would be great. So I mentioned earlier, actually one thing before I get into this, um, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Duh, right? So, um, this is probably the last you're going to hear of Memorial Day today, but, uh, so tomorrow's Memorial Day. We, our church, uh, generally we throw parties well, so there's going to be a big party tomorrow. Uh, it's at the Fancher's place, um, their farm in Swope. There's going to be a ton of people there. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have your friends and your neighbors and come on out. There's going to be plenty of food, right? I mean, Pax says it's going to be a big shindig. So, um, if, if you're, if you're a member regular tender and you're on our on online community network, the city, RSVP there just so they know. Um, if you have any questions about it, go talk to them. If you don't know how to get their house, Pack and Becker are in the back. They're raising their hands right now. They would love to talk to you and help you get there, okay? Because we would love for you to be there. If this is your first time visiting Holy Cross, come hang out with us. One of the best ways to learn about a church is to see how they do life together, not just see how they worship together. Come see how we do life together. Uh, I think you'll find something awesome. I think it's awesome. That's why I stay here. So anyway, um, so... That and you pay me. Uh, so this is our last week in Philippians, right? I, we've been doing this since January. Um, I trust that God's used this to bless you as he has me. One of the things I'm taking away from this series, I don't know if you knew this, but like pastors actually, we, we actually do engage with what we're preaching on. It, it actually does change us too. At least it should. I hope it does. It has me. One of the things I'm taking away from this series is how Paul has consistently encouraged us to take, to have our lives, our thoughts, the way we view the world, everything, and pass it through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's encouraged us how to think Christianly about things, whether it's our, our, the place of our influence and power, to um, how we engage with outsiders, to uh, even, last week, how we, how we deal with money and generosity, everything. It's awesome. The great thing about this week is that we end exactly where we began. The first words of Paul to the Philippians in this letter... Before, you know, after he said, hey, uh, this is Paul, was what we just sang, grace and peace. And so this week we end in that same way. The last words of Paul to the Philippians is a blessing of grace. So if you have your place in, in the last couple of verses of Philippians, if you'd stand with me, that's our, our habit here. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 23. As we do so, let me remind us, this is God's word, friends. This is, this is a, something that lays claim on us. It's not something that we picked, the church picked, that we decided, here's, here's some good books, we're going to go with this instead of some others. It lays claim on us. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. 
So as you hear this, listen for the voice of your shepherd. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. You have given it to us that that we might flourish, that we might know you. So much conspires against us, Lord, though, to know you. Our own hearts bent towards ourselves. Our world uh, that, that constantly screams that there are other things to do, other things to be. And an enemy that we can't even see. Who wants nothing more than to tear your kingdom down. We need your spirit. We need you right now. Whether we are walking into this place with a long history of knowing and walking with Jesus, or whether we're coming in here and we don't know Jesus at all, then maybe this is our first experience of church. We need you. We need you to work in our hearts, to open our eyes, that we might see the wonders of your word. And so we ask that you would come, that you would do that. We don't have to invite you here. You're already here. You called us here. And so we just ask that you would answer your promises. Preach your gospel to us. Let Christ and everything he has done come to the fore, especially this morning. Let the one who who speaks fall away, Lord, because you alone hold the words of eternal life. So we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. So some of you, I would, my, my guess would be, especially if you were paying attention to what I just read, um, and not everyone did, so let's not lie to ourselves, but if, if you were paying attention, you're probably a little curious about what I'm going to say right now, right? Because what we just read amounted to, say hi to everyone, love you, bye, right? So, Rick, really? What, <laughs> what are you going to spend the next 35 minutes Talk. Maybe you won't spend 35 minutes, and we'll all be very happy. Uh, sorry. No, that's actually... Uh, not the case. So, I mean, what Paul says here is a convention, right? When we sign a letter, you sign sincerely or love or your friend or whatever. If you're a Christian, you probably have some, some weird thing like in Christ or in him or, you know, something that you, you signed that makes, you know, uh, want, that's how you communicate Jesus to people in that. So this is a convention, but, it, but uh, though it's very common in Paul's day, Paul takes all of these standard conventions, as he's done throughout all of his letters, And he uses these conventions to communicate something about Jesus and his gospel. And so that's what he's doing here. It's something very poignant. Look, as a communicator, I know, I know that you are all not going to leave here today remembering everything I said. As a matter of fact, if if I'm being honest, you might walk away with like one thing. And my hope and prayer is that that one thing lasts more than a few hours for you. Um... And so that thing that I'm most passionate about, I'm probably going to put towards the end, right? Some of you have seen that. Like, that tends to be where we kind of end up, and it's the thing like, here, you're going to get this. If you get nothing else, get this, and boom, you go. We use that as, as communicators as a way to reiterate what we think is most important. Well, Paul takes this writing convention, this salutation or, or, or way of ending his letter, and he, he does the same thing. I'm going to communicate to you what I think is the most important thing the thing I began my letter with, this blessing of grace. I said this our first week in Philippians, uh, but grace really is what sets Christianity apart from everything else in the world. So it's appropriate that we get this. And I mean really get it. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Outline your bullets in there if that's helpful. We're going to look at what grace is. We're going to look at where grace is. And then lastly, uh, we're going to look at what grace does. Here's my preview. Here's what I hope we get out of this. That grace is an undeserved gift given to undeserving people by an ultimately deserving God. It's an undeserved gift given to undeserving people by an ultimately deserving God. So let's see this, okay? Let's jump in. So uh, now, don't be, don't be alarmed. We're going to jump around in your Bibles a little bit, okay? Because it's really important for us to, if we're going to understand what grace is, when he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, we need to understand that from the, the span of the whole Bible, because most of us, if we say grace, we think it's a prayer we say before dinner, right? And so we need to understand exactly what this is talking about. So we're going to jump around a bit. All the verses are going to be projected behind me, so don't worry about flipping around unless you really want to. So I said a second ago that grace is what separates Christianity from every other world religion, every other philosophy, really. Um, Here's the thing about this. Many of us, even if we've been in church all our lives, even if you've been in this church for a long time, we can get confused on this. And this is because grace as a principle is so... uh, antithetical to everything in us. Our natural bent is the other way. And so it's really hard when, when our bent as people, when our experience in life where everything that we're taught goes one direction and for God to say, no, no, grace is over here. And we, it's really hard for us to pull back against that. So unless we keep hitting the refresh button in our minds, we're going to miss it. So we're going to hit it hard today. Let's look at what grace is. We said first that it's undeserved, right? So we're going to look here in Genesis 6. Let me set the stage for you really quick. Some of you know the story of Noah and the ark, right? So getting up to that, God created the world good, but the world has fallen into sin. Sin entered the world and it kind of broke everything, messed everything up. Now, when I say that, it's common to see sin in a couple of different ways. First, we see sin as as basically about breaking rules, right? And we generally see it as something we do. But the Bible doesn't see it that way. Sin is fundamentally about breaking a relationship. It's a relational thing. It's a betrayal that happens between persons, not between a person and a code. It happens between persons. See, we were made for a dependent relationship with God, but we broke that because we came to believe a lie. Maybe this lie sounds familiar to you because it does to me. I heard it this morning. That God doesn't love you that he's holding you back, that he can't be trusted, that he's just trying to use you. He's not safe. He's going to hurt you. Humanity believed that. We turned away from God. It's relational. And it's relational primarily because God is a person, not a principle. He's a person. He's not a principle. But when humanity first did that, sin went from something they did to now something that we are. So it's not just, it's not just about rules. It's, it's about a relationship. It's not just about what we do. It's fundamentally about now who we are. Stay with me because you see it here in Genesis 6. The writer says, Now the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the... Th- Listen to this clear, closely. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Whoa. Now, some of you, even if you're like really familiar with Christianity, you're probably thinking right now, you're probably thinking like, wait a minute, Rick, that's a little extreme. Only evil? Continually? Every intention? Really? Well, yes. But you have to remember what the Bible's definition of evil is. Because evil in the Bible is, has to do with being independent from God. 
It's about sin. And so you and I, like, we all know the world's jacked up, right? That's not hard to see. But it's not all jacked up in the same way. It's not all broken in the exact same way. You see, the Bible teaches that all of humanity by nature is now independent from God. That's that state we call sin. That we, we do sin because we're in sin. That we, we do what we are. And this helps us here. Because you don't have to be immoral to be independent from God, do you? Of course not. Sin is also immorality. It's also immorality because, that, because immorality is refusing to look to God uh, to define right and wrong. Refusing to look to God to satisfy us. But you can also be very moral and very independent from God. You know, that is refusing to depend on him for our identity, for our strength, trying to use morality to get him to do something for us. And the Bible says both are sin, both are evil. You see how that works? And that's what it means when it says that all of humanity is thoroughly messed up. You with me? Okay, now here's a little secret. He says that uh, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention, only evil. Uh, in, in the, that, that kind of gives a sense of all in the, in the original Hebrew. Those things mean every and only, which, you know, it may be surprising, but it means all. All means all, okay? Now, jump down to verse 8. It's right down at the, at the bottom there. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, most of us probably in this room know how the rest of the story goes, Right? Lots of rain, animals two by two, uh, tragic things happening when the waters recede, like crazy stuff. That word favor, when it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, that's the same word that in other places is translated grace. And the way that we want to think about this is that Noah found favor, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was different. Right? He was the one guy who got it right. The rest of the world was a little messed up, but Noah got it right. See, to find favor in our minds means to be the one different person on the planet. But all means all. Every means every. Only means only. The wickedness of humanity, and humanity means humanity. Not everybody but Noah. It's everybody. Even Noah. God gave grace to Noah when every intention of his heart was only evil continually. Now, stay with me. I know this is hard. So, it's undeserved. Grace is something no one, and by that I mean no one, deserves, but it's also a gift. So, now we're going to jump into the New Testament, Romans 11, where Paul is trying to talk, he's trying to talk to the Roman church, he's trying to explain to them how it is that God has a people for himself and preserves that people for himself. And so, the obvious question that would come up in that would be, okay, but how do you get to be part of this people? How do you become part of this people that God is preparing for himself? What did they do to get there? And Paul answers, but if it's by grace, and that's his argument, that is, but if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Now, follow me for a second. We tend, because of that natural state of our hearts, our bent, we tend to view the world economically. We tend to view it in terms of cause and effect. I do X, I get Y, right? 
if I'm going to get something out of this relationship, I put this much in, I expect to get this much back. That's, that's just the way we view the world. So the question is, how do I get God's favor? How do I get that grace? What do I need to do? With me? And this is a completely natural question. Because that question is the basis of every other world religion, every other world philosophy, every other way of looking at the world, world view. I know that I'm messed up. What do I need to do to get God to like me? What do I need to do to get out of the the cycle of samsara, right? What do I need to do to get to heaven? What do I need to do to go and, and get those 70 young people, right? Paul says here in Romans that when it comes to our standing before God, that grace and works, and by works we say what we do, are opposed to one another. In other words, grace is not something we achieve. It's something we receive. It's not something we achieve. It's something we receive. Grace is a gift. Paul says if it's not a gift, it's not grace. If it's not something freely given, if it's not something opposed to what you do, then it's not grace at all. By very definition. It's like saying, well, I mean, if you have red and you're calling it blue, then it's not red anymore. It's blue. Right? It's the same thing. If you're... if it's not by grace, then it's not grace. If it's, if it's in any way by works, it's not grace. Now, I challenge you. Don't glaze over at this. I need you to follow the implications. God's favor, God's favor, his grace is something that isn't deserved. Because all of us are fundamentally broken. All of us, by nature, are independent from him. Sinful. But it is also something that we don't work for. Something that we are given we don't achieve it, we receive it. And this, this throws a wrench into the, the ways that many of us view God, doesn't it? It messes with us because we're hoping that in the end the cosmic scales will tip in our balance. The odds will always be in our favor in the galactic hunger, hunger games, right? That's what we just tend to want to view the world like. Some of us in this room are pretty sure that God likes us because we are awesome. We do things right. We're in church. Maybe even when that basket went by, you put something in it. You're awesome. Others of us, though, in this room are convinced that God could never like us. Because our lives are so jacked up that, and, and we believe that we wear a sign on our foreheads. And the sign says something like failure or loser or hussy or abuser. And everyone sees it. There's no chance. But Paul is saying that none of us, none of us, whether you think you are awesome or a train wreck, none of us are deserving of God's time, better yet, his favor. And yet, he gives it. It's a gift. A gift to be received. So that's what grace is. It's an undeserved gift. But now let's look at where it is, okay? Let's look at where it is. And by that, I mean where it comes from and where it goes. First, it's from God, all right? So back to our passage, Philippians 4.23. Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Now, let me get technical for a second. When, when Paul says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are a couple of different ways that you can take that, a couple of different ways, that, several different ways you could take it in the original. But the way that Paul means it here is grace in the possessive. That it's, in other words, the grace that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not grace given to him, it's grace that he owns. 
Okay? It's his grace. He's the boss of it. He chooses who gets it and who doesn't. Right? That makes sense? So the Lord's grace means something that comes from him. It is his gift to give. His gift. He's in control. Okay? The second part of this is that Paul says that this belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most of us, especially if we've grown up in churchy environments, we tend to look at that phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ. We, th- we see Christ as Jesus' last name, right? It was Mary Christ, Joseph Christ, and Jesus Christ. And then the Lord is just some kind of thing that we throw on the front of it, some kind of formal title. Okay, so Jesus' name is Jesus, okay? The, the word Christ means Messiah, it means king. It means king. Uh, in the Bible, it would mean king of the world, king of the universe, kind of king, 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 king. You can't get any more kingly than that. The Lord, though, is something utterly different. See, we see Lord and we think boss, but if you're a first century Jew, which Paul was, and you, and you put the word Lord in, into something, when he would say Lord in any other context, he would be talking about God. He'd be talking about God. It's the way that, because, because uh, Jews in the first century were really particular about not wanting to take the Lord's name in vain. And so in the Old Testament, when, when you see in your, in your English Bibles, and you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that's the way they translated the divine name, his covenant name, that was Yahweh. And so that just kind of took hold uh, when they translated the Bible, the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. They started using the word Lord every time that that, was, that came up. That's the way Jews talked about God. And so what Paul is saying here is something important. And it's important because of what we as Christians believe about Jesus. In our culture, Jesus is just a cool dude. He's just all right with us, right? He's a cool dude. Uh, we, we, we're doing well if we can claim him for our cause, But the New Testament has a different opinion. See, Christians believe that God exists in three persons. One God, one essence, three persons. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, One pastor describes it as he's one one what and three who's. Now, if that's hard to wrap your mind around, don't feel bad. It took Christians about 400 years to get that right. And it, it took a long time. So if you're not getting it in the last three seconds, you're in good company. Okay. Um, So when Paul says... The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling Jesus not only Messiah, not only King, but also God. Which means that the grace that he's bestowing comes from God. It's his to give. Okay? It comes from God, but it comes to broken people. Let's jump back to Romans. It's going to be up there. Romans 3, classic passage. In chapter 3, Paul writes this. For all, let me give you another hint. In Greek, the word for all means all, okay? So, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, that should sound similar to what we saw in Genesis 6, right? Every person on the planet is messed up. Now, sure, it looks different for everybody. It looked different for Jews who had all these rules than it did for Greeks who had none. It looks different for those who grow up in traditional, conservative, churchy environments than for those who grew up free-range, right? It looks really different. But it's all the same. It's still true. Now, one thing we didn't mention before, but it comes up here, sin brings with it guilt. We aren't right with God. That betrayal brings guilt. All betrayals bring guilt. 
We are independent of him. We want little to do with him left to ourselves. So not only do we not deserve God's favor, but but according to the Bible, all of us, all of us by nature deserve his anger. Okay, now I know this is hard, but stick with me for a second. Because if you don't get this, if you don't get this part, you will never understand grace. To understand grace, you have to get the bad news first. Because you see, even if you're buying what I'm selling on sin being independence from God, you probably still see it as a relatively minor thing, right? Because, you know, you're a pretty good person. You're a pretty nice person. You pay your taxes, most of them. Like, you, you do all right. And so sin, and I'm talking about the state of sin and independence from God, you probably view it more like breaking curfew or like, um, or like wanting independence from your parents. Right? As you grow up, wanting independence from your parents. You may know later in life you should make that trip more often, but you have your own life. See, that's not the Bible's view on it. The Bible views independence from God not like wanting independence from your parents, but like wanting independence from your spouse. It isn't breaking curfew. It's breaking marriage vows. So I want you to imagine coming home from just cheating on your spouse and trying to play it off. This isn't that big a deal. I don't know why you're so angry. Right? You can't. It's not even funny to even begin to talk about, is it? Because it's not possible. Not only, not only have we done nothing to get God's favor, we have done everything to not get it. Okay? But let's keep reading. All of sin falls short of the glory of God and are justified, that's made right with him, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Do you see now how Christianity is so utterly different from everything else? Even if you have no experience with Christianity, this should sound really weird to you. But even if you've been a Christian for, for a while like me, in either case, you know that we've blown it, right? I know it, you know it. We blow it. And even if you've been a Christian a long time, you know that you still blow it. You may want to keep that from other people. You don't want other people to know that you blow it, but you know it. You know that you blow it, and you keep blowing it. But God isn't asking you to make it up to him. His grace flows freely from him to broken people. From him to broken people. Not to broken people who have determined to do better. Not to broken people who have a plan for how they'll never get in this situation again. I got this. Don't worry. about. I'm, I'm good. I'm sorry. But here's how I'm going to do this different. Not broken people who aren't as broken as those really broken people. God's grace flows, flows freely to broken people. People And don't miss this, because you will miss everything Paul says about grace if you miss this. Until you grapple with the fact that you and I are undeserving people. Not just, not just were undeserving people, but are. Until you grapple with that fact, you will never be able to fully receive the grace of God. And when I say grapple with that fact, I mean not just in the theoretical. Lots of us in this room are theoretical sinners. Right? By that we go, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I mean specific. I know how I've blown it, where I've blown it, how I can't stop blowing it. Until we grapple with that fact... We'll never be able to fully receive the grace of God. So long as you come to God with something, whether that's a morality, a plan, a determination, 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will not be with you. So that's what it is and where it is. Now let's look at what it does. In a little more in Philippians 4, verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The first thing that the grace of God does is it changes our status, right? We're broken, we're guilty, we're alienated from God, we're independent. But the grace of God, the free gift, what marks out Christianity from everything else is that we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. I say this a lot, but because the opposite is so natural to us, we have got to get this. Every other system, every other teacher says, here's the path to get you back to God. Christianity says, here's the person who will get you back to God. Everything else offers a code. Christianity offers you a Christ. Everything else gives you rules to keep. Christianity gives you a ruler to know. Everything else offers you a grade. But Christianity offers you grace. It offers you grace. And if sin is independence, then the only hope is someone accomplishing things for you. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived perfectly dependent on God. He lived perfectly before men and before God. He lived the life we couldn't. Not because we didn't have the right rules, but because we were by nature broken. And Jesus died to bear the weight of our betrayal of God. Whether that betrayal looked neat and pretty or it looked like a train wreck. And then Jesus rose so that his victory over sin and death could be ours as well. And when we open our hands, when we come and we open our hands to God's grace, we place our faith in Jesus instead of either our ability to fix things or our belief that God isn't good enough to forgive me, then we are placed in Christ. That's what that means. Every saint in Christ. We are placed in Christ. And that means that what is true of him becomes true of us. That's what Paul meant in that last passage where he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by his grace. We are justified. We are made right. Helpful way of thinking of that is is to think of it as just as if I'd never sinned. But more than that, not just is our sin removed, but we are given Christ's status. Before God, he sees us with the perfect record of Jesus. That's what makes a Christian. It isn't someone who did good or tries to do good or votes a certain way. It is someone who, by grace, has opened their hands to God's grace. But listen close, because there are two ways to not receive a gift. There are two ways to not receive the blessing that Paul is offering this morning, right? The first is because you you don't receive it because you don't really think you need it. And, And let's be honest, some of us are there this morning, right? We we don't really need it. We're doing pretty good. We're doing okay. Really? Are you independent? Because that's the bar, friends. The bar's not like, I mean, I don't hurt anybody. Yeah, I mean, I may do some stuff the Bible doesn't, but it's not hurting anybody, so I don't know what the problem is. Are you independent? The problem's not, you don't have to measure up to me. I mean, if you did, that would be really great news because you you would be awesome and you'd be fine. You don't have to measure up to me. You have to measure up to Christ. You have to measure up to Christ. You need grace. And so the first way to not receive a gift is because you don't think you need it. The second way to not receive grace is because you don't think you're going to be given it. 
sounds too good, right? You don't think God could give grace to someone like you. You're here and you've heard me say all this and it sounds really good, but you're thinking, Ricky, you don't, you don't understand, man. You don't get it. You don't know what I've done. And you're right, I don't. But if I might be so bold, you don't know what I've done either. I know you assume some things. You're probably dead wrong. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what, I've, what I'm ashamed of. You don't know what hurts I've caused or how I've used people. You have no idea. But your status can change. The grace of God can be with your spirit. You don't need anything. There's nothing you can offer. Just come. It changes our status, but lastly, it changes everything. Here's what I mean. If you believe that you are an undeserving person who received an undeserved gift by an ultimately deserving God, that changes everything in your life. Here's some examples. First, you end up looking at your work differently. Many of us in this room, we want to look at work to make us somebody. I, I do this and that because I do this, it makes me somebody. But if you receive grace, you, you can look at it differently. It doesn't have to make you somebody because God's grace already has made you somebody. You end up looking at your relationships differently because you, you don't have to get uh, people to approve of you or to fill your love tank because God has already given you his approval. He's given you his love freely. You end up looking at people who don't look like you differently because you know that God doesn't approve of you because of what you do and therefore he doesn't of them because they don't do the same things. It's by grace. And if God can approve of you by grace, then he can approve of them by grace and we're all really in the same boat. But it also changes how you interact with God and others. Listen to me, especially if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian a while, your need for God's grace did not end when you started walking with Jesus. I know that's the way we tend to think about things. That like, God's grace gets me into relationship with him, and then I just have to, I got to work really hard to keep it up. Some of us act as if we can, we can get grace from God before our faith in Christ, but then we're in work mode. Paul says, no, 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 no. In another one of his letters, he says, just in the same way that you first believed on Christ, so now walk in him. If you were desperate and needy when you first believed on Jesus, that's the way every moment of every day of your life is meant to be walked out. Desperate and needy. Like, I don't like that, Rick. That makes me too dependent. I know, but guess what? That's what you were made for. That's what I was made for. As you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the goal, and I know this is so counter to what we think, the goal is to not need God's grace as much. The goal is to realize you need it more and more and to grow more and more desperate and needy of it. If you were undeserving then, you don't suddenly become deserving and nor is God asking you to. Grace covers your guilt. It covers it. You don't have to make it up. Grace covers your shame. You don't have to hide. He knows. He knows. He knows and his grace is enough. That doesn't mean we don't change. We do change. But even, even life change happens by his grace. He's the one who's in us working out his will. So let that drive you to worship. 
Let it send you to your non-Christian friends because they can receive it too. Because you, like them, like me, have received an undeserved gift as an undeserving person by an ultimately deserving God. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come grappling with grace, God, I... I need you to work in me because I know that my heart begins to leap at the potential of being able to come to you all the time desperate and needy and then a shield goes up really fast and so I need you to work right now even in my heart and I I guarantee there are people uh, like me here this morning. We need you. Some of us have never received grace. We've been too scared because either we think you'd never give it to us or we're afraid to see that we really need it. I pray that you would move and he would work in us. For the rest, like, as we move through our day-to-day, as we move through the week, would you let this one thing stay with us? That we never could, never did, and never will deserve your favor, but you freely give it. You freely give it because you love us. Let that resound in our ears, drive us to worship, and send us to our neighbors, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.